welcome to AdvantageReferee.com, software and services to help you become the referee everyone wants of their game. Making the right call can change your life. This is Richard Every, your host. So very excited to introduce former international scrum off who played 40 matches for Leinster and turned to refereeing that included 68 test matches with 13 of them in the World Cup, including the 2007 World Cup final. He refereed 70 European Cup games, of which three were finals. One of the modern game's greatest referees and now World Rugby match official manager, Alain Roland. Welcome. Hi, Richard. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Thank you. So with such a long list of exceptional achievements, must come with great drive and dedication, and it's something you developed from a very young age? Um, whew, well, I suppose to excel at any sport, you need to be pretty pretty committed to the cause. Um, I mean, I did play rugby when I was in school. I would probably be called a, a late developer. I didn't make many of the first grade teams as I was going through the, 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 the school system. Um, it was only really when I got out of school that I saw most of my success coming with Leinster under-20s and then Leinster senior team and then on for the uh, the, the national team in the, in the 90s. Long, long, long time ago now at this stage, but that's uh, when the game was an amateur game as well. Uh, so you were mixing your work life with your um, with your rugby playing uh, career um, which I followed through into my refereeing you know I was full-time working as a yeah um, while I was actually refereeing as well so things really didn't change much on that front just to get back before you decided to dedicate yourself to rugby you were actually running the family restaurant at age 18 are you still a good cook yeah, I can cook a bit. Like if I, I, won't, I wouldn't be stuck. I mean, I don't remember most of the, the recipes that my father would have had or what we would have had in the restaurant. Uh, one of my brothers has all of those. So, yeah, I, I was involved, you know, on the catering side of things because my father and my, my grandfather were, were very good chefs. Um, I thought about taking up that career, but when I went to college, when I started in college, uh, my father, he got sick for a while, so I had to actually do all the cooking in the restaurant while he was ill, and what it did highlight to me, number one, I suppose I could cook, but secondly, the amount of time that was required to give in that industry, um, and I wasn't able to do any rugby during that period, so it was a bit of an eye-opener for me, and as a result, let's just say I took a different career path so that I could, um, <laughs> I could pursue my rugby interests. Gives you a different perspective every time you go to a restaurant, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I suppose when I'm in when when I'm in a restaurant, I'm kind of always looking, you kind of see things and how the service has been done, how people are serving. You know, you're supposed to be over a certain shoulder. You're like, there's a couple little things that are supposed to happen. So yeah, well, you don't say anything. You can kind of a, a little giggle to yourself if they're doing it right or not. <laughs> so then that uh, gave way to rugby and uh, you played scrum off and went on to play 40 matches for Leinster. And in 1990, age 24, you um, put on the number nine jersey for Ireland. Yeah, pretty special. Uh, I can remember I, I got the call. I was working in the bank at the time up in uh, Stevens Green here, uh, or Thomas Street actually in Dublin. Um, the call came through uh, that I had been uh, selected uh, for the test match against Argentina. And like it was a really proud moment. I mean, of anything, when you're when you're selected to represent your country at any sport, uh, it's a very proud moment. And it, it was a very, I was very, uh, I was very pleased and I was very proud that I had been given the opportunity to be able to do that. 
Yeah, but that uh, I was actually refereeing around that time already, and I, you know, I understand back in in the amateur game that the environment in rugby was probably even more politically charged than what it is today. And uh, you, you played a couple of more games, but your last Test match was against the USA. Yeah, um, I got my third cap against the, the the USA here in Dublin in Lansdowne Road. Uh, it was a different different game back then. You know, like you don't have there was no tactical substitutions. Yeah. Um, squads 22 you know six you know we had uh, squads 21 six on the bench like it was just uh, completely different um, nobody was a professional rugby player everybody had a, a career you know for us preparing for the test match on the um, on the Saturday against Argentina uh, we had a training session on the Wednesday uh, training session on the Thursday um, <laughs> and had a bit of a meeting on the Friday and then we had our game so and the, 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 the training sessions were in the evening time they were at like seven thirty, so that everybody could work, and then come down to the training session and afterwards. So, so you're talking, you know, it, it's completely different to what it is today. You know, yeah. for you know, looking at the way the game has actually gone. But I think sometimes people don't realise um, what it used to be like, um, and it wasn't, I suppose, that long ago. You know, professionalism in rugby isn't isn't around that long, um, but it has it has progressed into the into the game that it is now, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so when you were playing for Leinster, obviously uh, Munster must have been your favourite opponents. And in 1995, you scored the winning try when your 1915 victory. You remember that? Uh, I don't. Um, but <laughs> thanks for thanks for the reminder. Um, Munster, you know the provincial game when you play the inter inter provincials as they're called. You know back back in the 90s, um, it was a different completely different mindset, completely different setup than what it is now because the club game was exceptionally strong back then. So right. just to give way an example, like when, when I played against Munster or Ulster or, 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 or Connacht, um, you might have had two, 3,000 maybe at the game. Um, and when I was playing with Black Rock for my club in the All-Ireland League, uh, we had 10,000 plus sometimes at our games. You know, like it was really, it was really, really strong because the club was the driving force. So, um, and that's the way it was when the game was was uh, was amateur. You know, like club was was not in effect the main priority. Spend most of your time with because he only played with Leinster. Uh, yet maybe two warm up, two friendly games at some stage during the season, and 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 the the three interprovincials. That was it. You might be four or five games in a season with Leinster, but yeah, you'd be yeah. playing. You'd be playing three, four times that amount with um, with your club, so that's why the club would be um, would feature an awful lot more. Yeah, so to have a record of forty matches for Leinster in that period is is very very impressive. You went on to play for Ireland Sevens, which I don't think a lot of people know. You were actually captain of the Ireland Sevens team. Yeah, I captained the Ireland Sevens. It was a little bit different when. Talking back in the 90s where a lot of the sevens were invitational rather than the way the series runs at the moment. So we as a we used to be involved with the Irish Wolfhounds. The Irish Wolfhounds was initially what set up the, the, the sevens um, scene here uh, within Ireland. Right. Um, it was an invitational team that was invited around the world to play in different sevens tournaments. And well, the only thing you had to try and do there is find a time that you could actually play. For example, like Dubai, while it still goes on, at the moment around December or November. Um, I could never get released from Black Rock to go and play in that tournament because it was in the middle of our All-Ireland League campaign. 
so which is understandable. Right. But there are other times in the year where you didn't need to get player release because you were off season with the club. So that progressed then from the Wolfhounds into um, an Irish team. And so I think I was captain of the first Irish team in, in Hong Kong at the, at the Sevens. And we played in a number of other tournaments, um, played in the Clenlivet Sevens up in, in, uh, in Scotland, which we actually, uh, which we actually won. So I loved it. I loved Sevens. Sevens was, you know, if I could have played Sevens full-time, I would have played Sevens full-time. You know, I thought it was, it was a great game. You know, I was very fit as a player. Yeah, I loved the way I could kind of get around the field, um, and just the just the type of game that it was—fast, furious, generally in hot heat. It was uh, it was great and, um, and and very enjoyable. Yeah, and and you played in the World Cup semi final against Australia. Yeah, we were just you know again we talk about a missed kick to touch, which they ran back to score in in, in overtime or in added time uh, in at the end of the game, which uh, knocked us out. But we should have. We did enough to actually win uh, the game, but we didn't. You know, like at the end of the day, they, they got in for that try to beat us um, in injury time. Otherwise, we could have played in the final. But that was a great experience. We played up in Murrayfield. Yeah. And uh, weather conditions suited us. I remember, we played Smo in the first game. It was early. It was cold. Uh, it took them a while. We caught them on the hop. Um, they just won Hong Kong. Um, and they came. They were, it was one of the favourites coming into the World Cup. Um, and we were lucky. We got them, I think, at nine o'clock on a on the Friday morning. On Saturday morning, it was freezing. It just stopped raining, um, and we were able to adjust to the to the um, to conditions a little bit better than they did. But uh, again, great experience to have played in a in a Sevens World Cup. England, I think, went on to win that one. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get on to uh, your refereeing career, uh, you had a short stint as a coach for the Island Women's team. Yeah, well, that, that that came about. I was down in Black Rock. Um, Steve Bashup, um, who a lot of your listeners will probably know, having played with, um, involved with mm-hmm. uh, Samoa, originally from New Zealand, his brother Graham playing at uh, Scrum Half. He came to Black Rock and he was playing at 10, so he was my number 10. And his girlfriend at the time, Sue, she was, um, she, she played with the Silver Ferns, so she was uh, a fantastic player. She could run, she, she was able to run rings around most of the the guys on, on our on our main team. Like she was a phenomenal player. And there was a bit of interest in the, in the club one day because there was no women's rugby. It wasn't really recognised at all. And a number of the girls, a number of the, the partners or the, the wives of the guys that we were playing with asked myself and see if we, if we take a training session someday, like on the Sunday. You know, we, we played a club game on the Saturday. There was an interest and they wanted to come down on the Sunday. So we said yes. Yeah. So we came back down. We came on the Sunday morning, myself and, and Bash. Um, and we about a dozen girls came down and uh, we had organized the bags and we literally was basic stuff here, how to hit the bag, here's how to tackle, here's how to pass, you know, real from, from, from the beginning. And they lapped it up. They thought it was fantastic. And it was even from then, you could see that a number of them, there was a great skill set from, from, from doing the basics because you were also dealing with, you know, athletes now who hadn't necessarily done it in the past. So they didn't have, there weren't any bringing bad habits. Word got around. Yeah. And then the following Sunday, we had about 40 down at the training session. Huge crowd. <laughs> and it just caught on. And with that, the women's game was beginning to grow. There was a couple of um, games being involved. So they asked me, you know, would, would I just help out and, and get involved in, on the coaching side? So, yeah, I took a Scottish and an Irish team over to Scotland for the first ever international. Um, I think we're beating 6-3 and epic. The enthusiasm was, was incredible. You know, they were just so keen to learn. They were so committed to it. And sure, look at the game as it is now today. 
But then there was uh, Owen Doyle who turned you to refereeing rather than coaching? Yeah, I had requests when I finished playing or when I was coming up to finish playing to go into coaching. And Owen, at the same time, had asked me to consider coming into refereeing. And uh, as a, I suppose, a very chirpy number nine who broke the heart of <laughs> broke the heart of many a uh, referee it was never on my radar ever you know like I didn't I would have given no thought to it whatsoever yeah. um, and he had a conversation with me he asked me to consider it so that had happened as a result of a referee not showing up one day for for a game so I was down in my club on a Sunday to watch a match and a referee didn't show up and the the coach of the opposition team, the Blackrock, were to play uh, Lansdowne in a in a league game. So the the Black the Lansdowne coach, he came up to me, and he, our team manager came up to me. and said, "Look, Rod, is there any chance you could give us a divvy out here? And the ref hasn't shown up. Would you mind?" And I said to him, "Look, Rory, I, you know this is a league match on Blackrock here." He said, "Look, we don't care. We it's difficult enough to get the guys here." We just need somebody to ref the game. <laughs> so I said, fine. Uh, I had no, I said, I've, you need to find me a whistle. You need to find me a watch. I said, I've got some kit. I always had a kit bag in the car, so I've got some kit. So I threw on some kit. I went down and I and I just, I refed it and I really, really enjoyed it. And some fellow was watching. He came down from the main game at half time and he could solve what was kind of going on. And so he spoke to me afterwards. And he said, do you ever think about it as a career? And I said, no, not at all. I thought I was just asked as a one-off just to kind of give a hand out. I said, happy to do so, but thanks very much. Um, so with that, Owen then got in contact with me. He says, would you come and join me and meet me for a coffee? So I knew Owen because he would have been refereeing us um, in the past, and he had taken up his position as referee manager within the IRFU. Yeah. So I went and met him for a coffee. We discussed it. I said, initially I went, no, I'm not really interested. And he said, well, look, why don't you just do, maybe just do a couple of games, see, see what it's like, and at the end of the season, maybe we'll have another conversation. So... So I did that. I was playing games on the Saturday and then every third or fourth Sunday, I might have just gone for a run around and I, I began to enjoy it. So at the end of that season, he said, OK, look, are you going to play again? Or are you interested in coming over to this? And I said, well, OK, look, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, and that was back in 98, 99, I think, was my first season. And it kind of took off from there. Is it true that the Leinster referees had a big celebration when you retired? Yep. They did. Um, when I was officially announced as a member of the association and no longer a player, I got a standing ovation because <laughs> um, they knew then they wouldn't have had to ever referee me again. So they were, they, yeah, they were quite pleased that. If you had to referee yourself, uh, I'd be a nightmare. But the thing about it is, the thing, the interesting part. I knew. I suppose it helped me as a ref. I knew what really bugged me when I was mm. a player. I knew when I had a ref that I just could not, I just had a dislike to. And so much of it was just down to the lack of communication. Okay, poor decision-making was obviously, <laughs> you know, high up the, the list of priorities. But when you had someone who could not communicate or would not communicate or just felt he was making it up as he kind of go along, there were things that would infuriate me when I was playing. So what I took and what I looked at was well, what are the things that really right. got at me when I was a player and I tried to ensure that that did not happen when I was a ref yeah. so some will argue that it wasn't always the case but I think more often than not um, I'd like to think I was a, a reasonable communicator and a, a reasonable decision maker you know at the time. Do you think that playing at such a high level you had obviously a great understanding for the game and translate quickly into being a contextual and referee and understanding materiality and possibly not being too technical? Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, uh, the the biggest challenge they had initially for me when I was refereeing is to actually make a referee out of me because I was refereeing yeah. as a player. Right. Um. So there was too much empathy, 
there was too much stuff with that you would kind of let go because you didn't think it was actually important. But, you know, coming from a playing background, it certainly, certainly helps. You know, there's no question about it. Like, it won't necessarily mean that you'll be a, an international referee. You know, we've had a number of ex-players that have come through the system that haven't made it as, as referees. Yeah. But you look at the number of guys that are involved in the World Rugby panel at the moment, and there's quite a number of them have played. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of them have played professionally. So it does give a, a feel for what the players and you do have a certain empathy and you can also relate to certain situations because if you've been, you know, if you've played as an international, you've been in that environment where you know what it's like to be in front of a crowd of 40, 50, 60,000 people, you know, the pressures that come involved yeah. and you're not experiencing certain things as a first time as a referee. So you can kind of, you've already covered a lot of that off as a, as a player. If you've been a, you know, play it at a, at a high level, even provincial yeah. or professionally. It does certainly give advantages. There's no question about it. In 2001, you got your first test match and there was a large gap of uh, players that turned referees before you came along again. But <laughs> some crazy information that the first player to referee a game as well, an t- international player, was a gentleman by the name of H.H. Castens, which is uh, South African in 1891. He played the first test against the British and Irish Lions and then he refereed the third test. And South Africa lost both games 4-0, so it didn't help hmm. him changing. But uh, in 2001, you did your first game, Wales versus Romania. Um, obviously a great experience and uh, it was a seriously, seriously quick game, that. Yeah, like it was, yeah, 2001. I think somebody told me at the time I bridged a 40-year gap, I think, from the last time an international player yeah. became an international uh, referee the game yeah from 70s yeah so it was it, it was very special you know like I remember the trip to Cardiff it was in the millennium and they were playing Romania and in fairness Romania started quite well you know I think they went 6-0 or 9-0 up but then Wales kicked on the afterburns they got a couple of quick scores and they they ran away comfortable winners in the end I think it was 81 points to 9 or something like that I think was the was the final score but considering I'd started 98-99 so I had two full seasons and then I was into doing my first test match it was pretty it was pretty quick you know it was a pretty steep incline a rise up to the top table um, <laughs> and I just I thought it was great I loved it you know uh, when you when you taste success you you want more you know like if you do well and you and you're good at it you want you know experience more and more of it and that game in 2001 led to me being selected for a Six Nations game my first Six Nations game the following year 2002 which was Scotland against yep. France in uh, in Murrayfield so um kind of kicked on from there so the crazy thing about that game is and just this goes to show you how much the game has changed in that match there was a scrum on the 22 and Wales picked up the ball, the number eight, and they formed them all from the scrum and mauled it in 25 metres to score a try. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Because that's just the way, like, but then you're, you're talking about, what, a four-sequence a four engagement? Uh, or, you know, like, it's a number yeah. of things have changed. Um, but you, you go back even further and the two teams just folded in. You didn't have half as much problems with scrums back in the, in, in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> that's also true. You know, so, but that's professional sport and you've got professional players and that's just the way things are done now. Yeah, so leading up to the 2003 World Cup, you were obviously refereeing in Six Nations and then you got the New Zealand-South Africa game in South Africa that New Zealand won pretty comfortably. Mm-hmm. But then you get to the World Cup and you do three pool matches and it only included one tier and one nation team. 
were you pretty confident that you would get one of the playoff games then? No, I look, yeah, I'm only a wet week in the place. You know, it's my first first World Cup. Yeah. I was just thrilled to be there. But I, again, I wanted to be, uh, I did want to be looking for honours. I did want to be doing a, um, a competitive game, and a knockout game. Um, but I knew I had to referee well in, in the pool matches. Yeah. And while I wasn't given the, the, the big, big games, I still had France Fiji and that game in, in, in Suncor Stadium. That was a tough game. It was a tough game, but it was an amazing yeah. game. I mean, Repenny Thao Thao for me scored probably one of the best tries ever scored in the World Cup in, in that match on how he, he, he rounded a couple of players from his own, inside his own 22, <laughs> you know, to score underneath the posts. He left, he left Rougerie for dead. Um, on the halfway line, the way he stepped around without even changing stride, it was just it was incredible. Um, and just to be involved on an occasion like that was 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 incredible. So like, and I knew I refereed well um, during those three games, and they yeah. put confidence in me to give me, which was a, a big game, like England Wales in the quarter final of the World Cup. Uh, and your as a rookie was uh, was a pretty big, pretty big statement. And I went out and I, I did okay. So, um, but I knew. That's like for me, that was my World Cup final 2003 to have been given the quarterfinal was was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. But when I came back from 2003, my aim was obviously I wanted to go all the way for 2007. Yeah, for sure. So during all those times in refereeing, you obviously um, you need a solid base. You talked a little bit about it earlier about having a solid home life. And as Dave Hatfield states that when the winds of disappointment hit you, you can more easily recover when you've got that solid base. You always went about making sure that you you still kept your job. You, you had your family at home. You would scratch your ear in the beginning of every game. Offline, little fella. Yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of, yeah, just something I do just for uh, for, my, for, for, for my little fella that was actually watching at the time, you know. So, so yeah, just kind of keep a bit of reality to the whole thing. Yeah, it was. In, it's just a, it's important, important to be able to do that. Any of your kids refereeing yet? Uh, no, like my son is, he's 19, he's in college. Right. Uh, so he's got, he's got other pursuits at the moment. And then my, my three, three girls, my three girls are still in school. So not necessarily at that stage. Yeah. So your career kept on building and obviously you got to 2007 World Cup and then uh, you had that moment when Paddy O'Brien announced the final referee. Yeah, look, I mean, you're sitting in a room with everybody and he's going through the refs for the semis and then he decided and he said, they were going to announce we knew that the referee was going to be announced on that same meeting and you know when your when your name is called out everything just for initially was a bit of a blur it's hard to kind of put into context when you're can imagine in that type of an environment when you know your name is the one that's uh, announced to to uh, to be given the the honor of of taking on the probably the biggest game that's on the planet and um yeah it's it was it was pretty special. It's it's it is a moment that you'll always remember. Yeah, it was a very exciting game. Actually, the strange thing is that you know, I mean, obviously South Africa had beaten England thirty six zero in the uh, in the pool stages, but England led all the stats in that game except that they lost half their lineouts, and uh, there were mm. there were only twelve penalty kicks in that game. It's pretty impressive in performance. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I th the thing about it is in the two thousand when we talk about penalty kicks, I think in the two thousand three World Cup, I think I held the record for the. The most number of penalty kicks and the least number of penalty kicks. Yeah, 27 and 7, right? 27 and 7, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the following year, actually, so this is interesting, the following year, 2008, you went out to referee England, New Zealand, and uh, it, uh, it gave you another perspective on the refereeing? 
Uh, it did. Look, it was it wasn't a great day at the office. It was in Twickenham. Four yellow cards. Probably could have had six. And a number of things in my refereeing wasn't good on that day. But I suppose like anything, you know, when you do, you review and you reflect and you you kind of see, well, what can I take away from that and what can I do? What things do I need not to do uh, again and what things do I need to do better? That was a big moment for me because I learned a lot, I suppose, from my own personal point of view as a referee in that particular game that I needed to change, uh, particularly dealing with kind of conflict and defeating, de- dealing with a team that was very negative and how I wanted to play, which was something I hadn't experienced before. So, yeah, it was a real... And that's the thing about it. You know, no matter how many games you do, you'll always take something from. And if you want to succeed at the at the highest level, you've got to learn from your mistakes. I mean, you know, the mistakes will either kill you off altogether, um, where you're not, yeah. you know, you stick your head in the sand and pretend there's nothing there, or you... You know, you try and learn and make sure that you're better the next time. Yeah. So uh, so that day did teach me an awful lot and probably was one of the reasons that my career lasted as long as it did. Yeah. And you developed triggers and affirmations? Yeah. Well, look, you know, the, when you when when there are pressure times, when there's pressure points and you feel yourself coming under pressure, you feel the temperatures rising. Yeah, you do need to have, you, it was very useful for me, you need to have buzzwords to kind of keep you connected to what's actually going on be it in the game mode or yourself kind of personally. So yeah, I would have, I would have been very strong on that to kind of keep focused from a game connection perspective and, and from a personal point of view. Yeah. And you had the three C's. Calm, clear, concise, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like your communication, when you're talking about the three C's, they have to be, you got to be calm. You got to be very clear and you got to be concise, you know, because if not players won't understand. Uh, if you're getting all, if you're getting all kind of rattled, getting all excited, well then that'll feed off into the players, and the players then get nervous, and then it just kind of gets very, very difficult. So to be able to keep a lid on the whole thing, um, that's something that um, everybody should have. And you finished your uh, refereeing career with the European Cup final, and uh, then you moved on to uh, referee management and. Obviously, you have a massive responsibility guiding, officiating for the world and uh, in the World Cup year. It's all very exciting. How do you think the game has changed over the last uh, four years that you've been in the position? Well, it's gotten very technical. It's gotten faster. It's got more physical, higher ball and play time. So there's been a shift in how the game has been played. It can be very defensive, you know, driven. Yeah. You know, they talk about defense winning games these days, which would have been very evident as to you know, anybody watching the England-Ireland game at the weekend, right. it was the, England's defence, certainly, that, you know, won the game for England. So it has it has changed, um, but it's still it's still a game that's, you know, loved by so many and, and followed by so many and with the view to Rugby World Cup um, in September. Yeah. There's a huge amount of excitement, you know, already building up, you know, for it and people uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, I mean, then the way the game's changed put a lot more pressure on referees too to be able to uh, just have that bandwidth, you know, with a more ball in play to just keep going and identifying what's important and what's not important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's what professionalism has done. You know, professionalism, you know, has given players and are now, you know, we were probably, you know, we were rugby players back in the 90s. They're professional athletes now. The professional athletes who play rugby and um, that in itself is obviously going to change the dynamics because you look at the body shapes you look at the size of the players you look at the you know the weight 
um, the tie, the guys that are kind of getting around. Yeah. You know, you take a player like Jamie Roberts playing in the centre. When I was playing, that was the the height and weight of a second row. So, <laughs> right. um, so that's how the game yeah. has that's how the game has moved on. Yeah. What What are your uh, thoughts on refereeing, coaching versus performance reviewing? Because I'm sure you experienced a lot of uh, performance reviewing when you were refereeing, and uh, you know, obviously in the later later part of your career. Or now as referee manager, there's a lot more referee coaching. Look, you need both. You need to have a, a coaching element to help the referees uh, progress. Um, performance reviewers are there to give their opinion, do up timelines, and, and identify certain areas that you know mm-hmm. could have been done differently, um, or create a discussion with the with the referees. Um, so, if you have somebody kind of reviewing a, a performance, you then have that individual or you've got a coach who will then be who will then be in a situation where uh, they will uh, look to to give assistance yeah. you know where they can so it, I think one complements the other so last question your book The Whistleblower it's an excellent read not only for rugby fans but for high performance athletes or anyone really that like a story of perseverance resilience and success do you have any plans of writing another book after managing referees? Oh no! Look, that was a one-time only. Um, I, I, like I didn't. I had been asked many times before. I actually ended up doing it to put one together, and, yeah. and each time I kind of said no. Um, but when I met Liam, who was the, the publisher, and he, he came and he spoke to me and he explained what it is he wanted to do, and then. Um, when I spoke, sat, sat down with Dara, who was the ghostwriter, and you know, looking at what they were trying to kind of portray and what they were trying to how they wanted to tell the story and um, I kind of went all right I feel comfortable kind of with doing that and I was happy to share things There's a lot of private stuff in there as well which I was happy to share because if you're going to do it you kind of you got to do it properly so I have no thoughts and I have no interest really of kind of going again I think my story has been told and if people are interested in reading it they can they, they can do so. Yeah, great read indeed. Elaine, you've achieved so much success as a player, the pinnacle of refereeing, and you continue to contribute to the top of the game. Uh, Really thank you for your time and uh, all the best for the rest of the Six Nations and uh, through to the World Cup. Thanks very much, Richard. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, bye now. Check out AdvantageReferee.com, software and elite consulting services to help you become the referee everyone wants on their game. Thank you for joining us. This is Richard Everett.